Blog Talk Radio. pursuit of happiness, those rights were stripped from college kids in Blacksburg and Santa Barbara and from high schoolers at Columbine and, and from first graders in Newtown, first graders, and from every family who, who never imagined that their loved one would be taken from our lives by a bullet from a gun. Every time I think about those kids, it gets me mad. And by the way, it happens on the streets of Chicago every day. So, all of us need to demand a Congress brave enough to stand up to the gun lobby's lives. All of us need to stand up and protect its citizens. All of us need to demand governors and legislators and businesses do their part to make our community safer. We need the wide majority of responsible gun owners who grieve with us every time this happens and feel like your views are not being properly represented to join with us to demand something better. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight we deal with a troubling issue, the failure of gun control in America as the body count continues to rise. Folks, this is a troubling topic, one that is thought-provoking. And I'll tell you right now, AJC Radio comes on board for this discussion. Hang on, folks. AJC Radio kicks off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and the entire AJC radio team. And I'll tell you folks right now, you better get ready for a humdinger as the headlines are dealing with one very serious topic, and that's gun control in America. As in Congress, there lies a stalemate of getting something done as politics takes center stage. And we're going to deal with those issues tonight. And uh, Lisa, the disclaimer for our listeners, please. Yes, we'd like to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide legal advice. You'll want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. 
And as always, we want to thank you for tuning to choosing, cho- tuning to choosing to tune in and spend time with us this evening. And thank you for that, Lisa. And as we were talking prior to this program, folks, we're going to be honored to have Sarah Trumbull. Uh, she is Senior Policy Counsel for Social Policy and Politics Program, addressing gun control and all times, types of issues uh, facing our nation. And as we talk about gun control, we understand that four measures or four bills were actually set to be voted on uh, on the Hill on gun control. And Dennis, as we talked prior, those measures failed probably before they ever got to the floor. Your thoughts on that? I I truly can't understand it. I mean, uh, we're trying to put something together, you know, as a, as a nation to try to, uh, you know, curtail or, or, or stop, you know, these, these crazy uh, killings and uh, uh, these tragedies. And for some reason, it's all about, you know, someone saying that we're taking away, you know, our c- citizens' amendments, you know, their Second Amendment. And well, look, we got to start looking at, Come on, enough is enough. How many people, how many children, how many mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers have to die before Congress does? Well, look, the political uh, posturing, if you will, where they're talking about the Second Amendment, nobody is even speaking to that. We're saying that as a, as if you're an American citizen, you have the right to bear arms according to the Second Amendment of the Constitution of the United States. We are aware of that. However... Politically, you have members taking a position that if we somehow enforce gun control, then they put fear in the hearts of Americans who feel the need to bear arms. It has nothing. They have been saying this about President Obama from the time he made the statement that gun control needed to be looked at in this country. And he said it saying we have no intention of taking guns out of the, or out of the uh, hands of law-abiding citizens, nor violate their rights. And it's always a political move to avoid action. This is utterly ridiculous. And if you look at it clearly, it is clear that the the Democrats, President Obama, President uh, uh, Hopeful for many, uh, Hillary Clinton, this has nothing to do with taking the rights. But if I can tell the American people that, then maybe I can get more votes for me. That is utterly sick. As body bags are being filled, not only with adults, teachers, educators, we're talking about the Sandy Hook tragedy, children are being killed. Orlando, in a nightclub, 49 people died needlessly in this country. Virginia Tech shootings at colleges, college campuses all across this country. When do we stop the politics and say we need to save some lives? We understand very clearly, Cliff, that there are people that are going to get illegal weapons illegally. That's, under, that's what they call on the black market. Right. We understand that. But for us to take a position, and we're going to go to the Orlando issue, Cliff, in regards to this man being on a watch. He was looked at multiple times by the FBI, and we talked about this. Why then? Did the FBI not contact local enforcement, law enforcement, if they were really watching him? He can be on the list. You can remove him off the list, but still cautiously watch this man. Exactly. They dropped the ball here, and no one wants to take that responsibility, but it is what it is. That's right. I mean, you, that part has just uh, fallen out of, you know, 
out of the, the the what the media is saying. You don't see anybody else on uh, on the news saying, okay, hey, we as the FBI dropped the ball because when we got a call about this guy, we didn't follow up on it. And and they can say what they want. Well, you know, he didn't have the the gun store owner. He didn't have a uh, you know he didn't have a license plate or he didn't have a driver's license. I I am not believing that there was no video footage of the guy that this that this store owner said this guy is questionable he wants to buy military grade body armor he wants to buy a thousand rounds of ammunition i am just not seeing how when he when he told the fbi about that now suddenly there's no video and the fbi they they just dropped that issue they're talking more about his wife now and and the thing with you know with the votes you know what it reminded me of is when president obama came to replace the judge for uh, Judge Scalia, who passed away. Before there was even a bill put in, uh, put in place, before there was, there was even anything that happened on the floor, you had people saying, well, we're not voting for it. Four measures that they didn't even take a look at. They wow. just got shot down for nothing. How is it that they get shot down when you haven't even looked at them yet? They, they haven't even uh, stood up and argued on them. It's like, well, they, they won't even, they, none of them will be passed. How does that happen when, uh, like you say, Lamont, children are dying, teachers, <laughs> when your educators and elementary school teachers are being shot, something needs to be done. And, and I'm, I'm all for, you know, we all have the right to protect ourselves, but military-grade weapons in anybody's hand saying, okay, I'm going squirrel hunting with an AR-15, <laughs> that is not a feasible reason to have an assault rifle. makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Well, the point that, and again, what they're saying is, is that these weapons are set out for war. That's what these weapons are. And, Dennis, your thoughts on that? Why would those weapons be needed for self-defense? You don't, you don't need those weapons for self-defense. I was in the military, and I actually uh, fired the AR-15, and uh, I can tell you that weapon is truly, truly uh, dangerous. It's, it's designed to put down suppressive fire or, you know, to keep the enemy's head down and, to, you know, a large volume right. of fire. You know, that so we can regroup and do what we need to do and protect one another while we're at war. But uh, for just any old, you know, anybody with an AR-15, uh, it's not needed. You know, you don't need it to shoot a rabbit. Uh, you don't need it to shoot that is squirrel. Not a, that it's is not, not a hunting, hunting device, you know. And the, and the thing is, for, for the people who don't, you know, you know who may not be military, uh, AR-15 is another name for the M-16, which is the military-grade uh, assault rifle. So you have a military M16 that is in the hands of a civilian, and they renamed it as, you know, assault rifle 15 because they have taken the automatic capacity from it. But this, like you said, this is still a weapon for suppressive fire. That means this weapon is used to hold you down, and and not just an unarmed person. This weapon is used so if local law enforcement comes in. They don't have anything to combat an AR-15. You're not going to combat an AR-15 with a 9mm, no, a 45, not. or a shotgun. Somebody can lay down suppressive fire with an AR-15 and hold the police at bay. God forbid if you get two or three men with that that have purchased them legally and say, okay, we got these three AR-15s, we're going to rob banks, we're going to do uh, mass shootings. It is totally ridiculous. That, that weapon 
among others. That's not the only one. But, I mean, and the, the crazy thing is the the uh, argument can be made, and everybody believes, oh, no, an AK-47, that doesn't belong on the street. That does not belong in the layperson's home. There's no need for a normal civilian to have an AK-47. So an uh, AR-15 is a more accurate, more deadly weapon than an AK-47. An AK-47, sure, you can fire a lot, but an AR-15 is meant for putting people down. They say, whatever you get hit with that weapon, you're down. This is not, there is no flesh wound. You got hit in the shoulder and, oh, you're, you're, uh, you're going you're gonna to be able to run. That weapon is for laying you down. When it touches you, it's to stop you. Well, and that exactly. does not belong in the hands of, why well, do I need that weapon at my house? Well, what they have done, and a lot of the American people have been fear-mongered into believing right. we're trying to get it, lose our rights. We're going to lose our rights. We're going to lose. That has nothing to do with it. When it's your son or your daughter dead in the street, what are you going to say then? Something needs to be done. And the president made a clear point. He said, if we can avoid some death, we, you're never going to stop them all in the world in which we live. Again, as we talked about earlier about the black market of purchasing weapons, that is a huge business. So criminals are going to always find a way, but let not, the America, let not America make it easy to go into a store and simply buy a gun. And you hear, uh, you know, uh, constantly the advocates for, uh, that are against, uh, you know, uh, some type of control, some type of, uh, you know, control over weapons. Uh, they, they use the analogy, had, had somebody at Sandy Hook, had one of the teachers had a weapon, uh, Sandy Hook would have never happened, and I, and I'm gonna tell you that's not true. Uh, half the people with weapons can't fire them, but you know they're they're not ex- that that experience. But that's 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 what we say. We say okay, if everybody has a gun, then we can all protect ourselves. We can you know, but if the gun is in the wrong hand, well, we're gonna have another well, Sandy well, Hook or what we just well, went through in worse, Orlando. You have worse than that. Donald Trump came out and made a statement. That had someone in the club, if those people had been armed, in, now listen to the, the insanity of this statement. Had people been armed in the nightclub, they could have stopped the terrorists. Here's the problem. If you set precedents in nightclubs where alcohol is served Talk to me. for people to walk in with weapons, you probably end up with more than 49 people dead because people are impaired. How insane does that have to say, well, maybe we need to start allowing people to take guns in the nightclubs. You're going to have a serious problem. You'll have mayhem everywhere going on in these clubs. Absolutely. Alcohol, people are drinking, people are drunk. You can't even operate a vehicle impaired legally, but I can have a weapon that can take lives? Right, I mean, how that... And and even I mean even the Republican Party came out and you know said that that statement right there that they took they took serious issue with it because you have you have people if you look at the shootings that happen at clubs now most of the time you know they they can't bring their clubs in so they go out and they go to their car drunk stumbling some of them high and they still have a shootout in the parking lot you want to take guns inside of an establishment. Where there's alcohol, somebody's probably bringing in some uh, illegal, illicit well, drug. Exactly. The state of mind in there is, I mean, that's why 
you know, it's closed door. You get in by paying a fee. It's like, okay, well, this is a closed environment. You don't want to take guns into that environment. I mean, you you have a serious. I mean, that's just the OK Corral. You just have a shootout. No escape routes, and, and exactly. you notice that that uh, some uh, you know in the Orlando shooting, uh, uh, some of some of the uh, Patriots, you know, they got they got out. Uh, but a lot of them, the reason why they 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 you know didn't make it out is because, like you said, it's it's closed door. I mean, right. everything was shut. Uh, they you know and, and they were they were at a party. So, in that sense, I mean to say. You know, everybody just bring your own weapon. <laughs> that way, if anything try to happen, you know, you can take care of it. But we're going to have a lot of innocent people still dying because, like I said, half of them that's bringing in weapons yeah, don't know really, how to use them. They just, you know? they just pulling the trigger. Exactly. Bullets flying everywhere. Well, I'll tell you what, if you ever seen a movie, a Hollywood production called The Purge, that's actually where we would be headed. And if you know nothing about it, just YouTube it, Google it. One of the most horrific movies I have ever seen with a lack of enforcement of law. And uh, I'll tell you what, that may seem like an exaggeration, but I'm telling you, we are headed to a very serious problem in this country comes to gun control. The failure of gun control in America as children, the innocent, begin to die in high numbers. When somebody can simply go into a club, pre-purchase plane tickets... To go to that city with one thought in mind, and that is to take human life. It's time to set down the politics and time to be human and protect the American people. This is, sometimes you have to protect people from themselves. And at the end of the day, if you're a law-abiding citizen, look at Zimmerman. Shot Trayvon Martin dead. Said he had previous issues mentally said he dealt with issues all presented at trial to no avail and a 17 year old boy because he decided to profile somebody and the latest words from donald trump maybe profiling is good are you kidding me ladies and gentlemen of america you better get out and make the right vote as we're headed to some serious troubled times in this country and the times have already arrived we need leadership and we need the American people to say, let's use our common sense. And it's never that bad until it's your daughter or your son that's dead. It's never bad. So at the end of the day, you better wake up. Because if we don't get to gun control, if we don't get to where we need to get and start dealing with it, Congress needs to go in to the Congress, the United States Senate, and say it is enough. And do what maybe not be popular, may not get you a vote here and there, but maybe you save a family from the grief of loss of little Johnny, of little Susie, of that educator who's given their life to teach our children. When do we stop? Where do we draw the line? Tonight, we deal with these issues. Feel free again, folks, to get in on this conversation as it is a hot topic all across America tonight. The number is 347-838-8976. It's 347-838-8976. And I'll tell you what, if you're wondering, well, Lamont, you sound a little passionate, I'll tell you what. People are dying. And we sit up and play politics, and the victims of the loss 
the, the, the families left behind for these victims, these children, these people that have died needlessly, turn on the TV looking for the leadership of this country to do something. And how discouraging is it to see a failed vote or a failed initiative that at least would help the problem? How do we do that to our citizens in this country? How do we sleep at night if we do that, folks? We need to pay attention uh, to what's going on. And I'll tell you, this show is going to get more fired up as we go on. Coming up on the other side of the break, Sarah Trumbull will be joining us to give her perspective on the need for gun control in America the tsunami effect of failure to act by a Congress and a nation that leaves our children dead in the streets. We address that tonight on AJC Radio. Again, join us, 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. Gun control in America. Where is it? We'll deal with that issue. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, this serves as a personal invitation to you. Let's Talk kicks off July 12th at 7 p.m. at 451 Winchime Place. The new acclaimed series on A&E, 60 Days In, will be the topic. Featuring Sheriff Jamie Knoll talking about the impact this new series is having, not only around the nation, but in his personal life. Join us Tuesday, July 12th at 7 p.m. For further information, call 855-529-4252, extension 710. We'll see you then. A Bart police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young you can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, Life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, 
because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. This Friday, an unimaginable horror happened. The most innocent amongst us, 20 beautiful children, ages 6 and 7, were gunned down in cold blood. And six adults died trying to save these children's lives. My heart breaks for these families. And I send my deepest sympathies to the Newtown community and to all who are struggling through this unthinkable tragedy. Sandy Hook made clear what we've known for too long, that we are not doing enough to protect the public from deadly weapons, that we are not doing enough to address mental health issues in our society, that we are not doing enough to stand up to those who are actually saying that more guns, not less, are the solutions to mass shootings. This must change. For the sake of our children, I say enough is enough. Congress must act to put a stop to this senseless gun violence. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America, as tonight on AJC Radio, we address a troubling issue, the failure of gun control in America as the death toll continues to rise in our nation. And what you just heard was Congresswoman uh, Chu, Judy Chu, speaking to the tragedy of Sandy Hook. Uh, And when you hear that, Cliff, her passion, she says enough is enough. What do we do do with that? I mean, there is just an insane to me how how many especially kids i mean most of the time people are moved when children die and to and for them to be getting gunned down. i mean sandy hook should have been the end all uh for for gun control laws there there should have been a flood of members of congress saying we will do something we will do more uh I just, I just really don't get it. I mean, sure, I'm all for American people being able to protect themselves, but there's a point where you have to say that's enough. I mean, you don't need to have a tank well, parked in your garage to protect your family. Well, Is that the, where it's going? If the statement says the right to bear arms, then why don't we have citizens with tanks exactly. in their driveways? Why don't we have uh, whatever the rocket launchers are, a right to bear arms? Common sense, ladies and gentlemen, common sense. Right now... Uh, we're going to bring in uh, a very special guest who's decided to join us tonight, and we are honored to have her uh, on the program, Sarah Trumbull, uh, a lady doing some things to bring awareness on this issue. And Sarah, are you there with us? Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us tonight. And uh, as you can tell, this is a very passionate discussion uh, given what we are dealing with in this nation right now. And I, the more as I research for this show uh, the Sandy Hook tragedy, the Orlando tragedy, I mean, death after death after death, needlessly. And we're going to get your thoughts tonight. Sarah, share with us a little bit about what, what brought you to a point, your organization, to get involved and address this issue, which apparently is a huge issue right now as America goes into serious dialogue on this issue. Absolutely. 
Well, I'm the senior policy counsel uh, at Third Way, which is a center-left think tank in Washington, D.C., and we work on a variety of issues. Whatever Congress is talking about or will be talking about or should be talking about, uh, we're usually involved helping them make sure that they're passing smart policy, uh, good laws, and that they're really listening to, to people in the middle who aren't heard very often. Uh, and gun safety has been very close to our hearts for a very long time. We grew out of Americans for Gun Safety as our, our parent organization. Uh, but for me, it really all changed after Sandy Hook. That's when I got involved. Uh-huh. And what did you say, Sarah, there that impacted you the most, that has stayed with you probably as you go home at night? What's the key thing that sticks with you that makes you drive on? We worked extremely closely with the Sandy Hook families uh, in their efforts to, to pass background checks in the Senate and on Capitol Hill. And mm-hmm. the degree of courage that they showed was so inspiring. Uh, and the degree of cowardice that, that the Congress responded with was really embarrassing as an American. No, absolutely. And, you know, as I listened to President Obama tear up uh, about Sandy Hook, and, and I, Sandy Hook is one community that suffered great tragedy. And I was sitting here, uh, Sarah, I want to get your thoughts on this. We were looking at the statistics in Chicago. Uh, 66 people killed with guns in the month of May alone on the streets of Chicago. 400, yeah. 400 people shot, and I'll say attempted murders, 400 attempted murders in the month of May in Chicago. That is one city. Would you agree yeah. that we're beyond politics on this issue? It's time that something happens now. We certainly should be. There are 33,000 Americans who die every year at the end of a gun. That's 90 people a day. I don't know what exactly Congress is waiting for, but I think it's running out of time. And, Sarah, uh, I had the opportunity, of course, to see uh, after the Orlando shooting, and and as we were discussing with the the host here on the show – Nobody wants to take responsibility for dropping the ball. Everybody's saying, well, he did it. You know, it's kind of like on the playground when you're in elementary school and you kick the ball to the teacher and it hits her. Well, everybody points a finger at someone else. Except the difference with this is it's not a kickball. It's a bullet. And everybody wants to point a finger at someone else who's not doing something. And I think that's why we appreciate your work, your interaction, your push to say, look, when does America say, does American – That's I believe that's why people begin – and I'm going to just say this and put it out there. You have people clinging to ISIS, leaving college campuses, teenage girls leaving college campuses to go join ISIS in Syria. We have to give the American people a reason to believe that we care. We're not doing that, are we? No. Listen, there's nothing wrong inherently with the Second Amendment. We support the Second Amendment. We just believe that those rights also come with responsibilities and that they don't apply to criminals or terrorists or weapons of war. No, absolutely. And, and my point is this, and let, give me your thoughts, Sarah, on this one. Uh, former Supreme Court Justice Scalia made the statement that 
The Second Amendment is the right of all Americans, but it's not without limitations. Everything that we do in society has to have limits. You get in a car to drive, you have a right to drive. But the minute that that car becomes a weapon, those rights are gone. And like you said, they're making the argument now, Sarah, that these are weapons used in the war field of Iraq and Afghanistan. These are not, this ain't a little 45 or whatever to, hey, somebody breaks in my house, I have to defend and protect myself. I'm in a dark garage. I have a right to carry a concealed weapon to protect myself. Sarah, have we got to a point where even those with the Second Amendment rights have come to a point to try to abuse that? Your thoughts on that? Well, you're absolutely right that Justice Scalia said that there are restrictions to the Second Amendment. And he didn't just say it. He wrote it in foundational gun lock decision that the Supreme Court handed out. Like, that is the law, which is the Second Amendment can be restricted. That is exactly why we don't have rocket launchers or tanks in people's garages. And there are ways to pass laws that uphold the Second Amendment and pass reasonable responsibilities on people so that our kids are safe at school and at church and at the movies and at nightclubs and anywhere else they are. No, absolutely. And, and uh, when you started doing this, Sarah, I show here that you told a teacher, uh, told your favorite high school teacher that when she grew up, she was going to tell Congress what to do on the issues she's always been most passionate about. And now you do that for a living. How does that feel? I can't believe someone paid me to do it. (laughs) But apparently Congress – go ahead. Well, it's extremely uh, rewarding to work on issues like gun safety and also extremely challenging. And to know that that what you are doing is to try to make the world a better place is the only thing that keeps everybody going because this is not a fun thing to work on. Sure. And you've you've looked into the eyes of those families with the grief and the pain. Sarah, do you do follow up with these families as you petition Congress to enforce gun control laws so they can feel some sense of relief that going forward, at least, perhaps the death of their children were not in vain? They are absolutely still engaged. They created an organization called Sandy Hook Promise. They're just in Washington this week. I saw them last week. Uh, they are just the most courageous people that I have ever met. What, what do we say to our communities? I mean, Sarah, how do we uh, bring an army, if you will, together of the American people to feel the passion that you feel, to educate communities to say, Don't sit back and just say, well, that's just the way it is, and there's nothing we can do about it. What do you do, Sarah, to motivate families to continue? And you sound very passionate about what you do. You sound very much engaged and with a sincere heart to say, we need to do something. What gives you the strength to continue trying to push that motivation into the hearts of these these, uh, grieving parents and families that deal with this type of a loss? We used to worry after mass shootings that public attention would wane, people would stop talking about it, and Congress would stop listening. But since Sandy Hook, we've had more than 1,000 mass shootings in this country, which is nothing to say of all the regular boring shootings, quote-unquote, that are happening every day on our street corners. 
So there is no time for the attention to wane anymore. And there is no one who's not been touched by gun violence, right? I don't know anyone who's been shot by a gun, but more than once I have had to call people that I love to make sure they are okay during a mass shooting in my hometown, at my college alma mater, at the school where my brother works. This is happening to everybody. Everybody's affected by it. And uh, doing some research, we got a clip of a family that talks about the loss uh, of their daughter. I want to get your thoughts. Let's play the clip, and I'm going to get your thoughts on it. She was a ball of fire. She ruled the roost. She, uh, Our little CEO, we called her. You know, she was, she was the boss. I got to the firehouse. We had no idea at that point. We thought, okay, We're just you know, the reports are that uh, you know one or two people may have been injured. I walked around the firehouse like, I, maybe she's in there. Maybe she's there. Yeah, I must have done 100 laps. I knew exactly what she was wearing. I knew I was going to see her little ponytail come around the corner and her jacket and her black glittery Uggs that she had on that morning, and they find me around 1:15. Asked everybody to sit down, and um, they said that um, it was a tragic day in Newtown today, and 20 children were killed. And please tell me, tell me that little girl was gone. There was so much panic and confusion when that announcement was made. The life was just sucked out of everyone in the room. And, you know, I just point blank found a, a state trooper and was like, are there any survivors? Are you, know, are you telling me that standing here as a parent, my child is gone? And he said, yes. I got into her bed and she just got mad. And um, we just stayed in bed. It's still not real, but my, my little girl who's so full of life and who wants a horse so badly and who's going to get cowgirl boots for Christmas isn't coming home. And that's what you would do, isn't it? I mean, you'd, you'd get into the child's bed and remember all the things you loved about them. Well, um, heart-wrenching, heart-wrenching. Whew. I mean, I'm not a parent, Sarah, but when you hear that, as a human being, their little girl is gone forever. And you working with the families and the and victims here, when you hear that, what does that do to you? It makes me infuriated that Congress knows this is happening and just yesterday refused to pass background checks. Every single no vote should have to listen to that and look those parents in the eye and tell them why they wouldn't do anything. I agree. I mean, I tell you, this is Dennis, uh, Sarah. I'm one of the hosts, but I tell you, I was listening to you uh, just now, and that is very painful to know that for a fact that it's not like Sandy Hook was a secret. It's not like what happened in, you know, in in Florida, in, in Orlando was a secret. Everybody knows about it. But you would think that our congressmen, our representatives would have a heart to at least look at you know, something that could make a difference, that, that could make a change. Background checks. How is that going to hurt anything? If anything, it's going to do good because we're going to make sure that the right people, I mean the wrong people, 
are not getting arms in their, you know, in their possession. I mean, it, 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 hey, I, I'm, I'm with you. I just don't understand it. And yes, uh, the family, the family should be appalled at the decision our representatives made on our behalf. And Sarah, um, we need more people like you. That becomes, I think, American people have not become angry enough. We just la- we're lax, laid back. Well, you know, this is just the way it is. I'm looking at some numbers, Sarah. Number of children killed this year by gun violence, 269 children. Total number of deaths, 6,333 people have died. In mass shootings, 145 people have died. Home invasion, 1,033 people have died. I don't, as you say, Sarah, I don't know how, how Congress sits back and how we had a stalemate with these numbers of death. Well, part of Your the problem thoughts? is they're not they're not hearing from from people like you and me and people people who agree with us, right? They're hearing from people who are being paid by the NRA to call them over and over and over again. So everyday Americans need to pick up their phone and call their senator. I live in Washington D.C. I don't even have a senator, but if I did. You bet they'd be hearing from me. No, absolutely. And how? Uh, and and let me ask you a question, Sarah. As you push for this, uh, and like you like you said, many issues that face this nation. Um, do you get a lot of kickback or pushback from people to say, "Leave it alone. Don't worry about it." Do they fight you on it consistently? Because whenever I have found somebody that that's out there trying to incorporate change and push for people to do the right thing. There's always a battle involved. Do you run into those battles on a daily basis? I mean, we certainly run into people who disagree with us on gun restrictions and and think that the Second Amendment should be absolute. But at this point, literally everyone knows something has to be done. There's, There's no other argument to be made. What exactly are we waiting for? No, absolutely, and and I I, I don't have those answers. You're in this field uh, pretty consistently every day. Uh, When you heard about the Orlando massacre there, um, I'm sure you became even more angry that here we go again. And everybody on the My heart just dropped. Yeah. And when you hear about it, you become at a loss again. They said President Obama has made his 10th visit to a mass shooting situation to address and comfort the families of those that were lost. Ten visits by a president. And the people that are supposed to work with him on Capitol Hill to make this country safe, to make us feel like, you know what, our government really is looking out for us. It really makes you feel like, man... Does America care? And like you said, to look a a mother who's lost that little girl in the face and say, well, there's nothing we can do. I was looking at a news report, a lady from, I believe, Sandy Hook uh, made the statement to uh, Congressman. No, I'm sorry. She's from Orlando and said to Mark, uh, uh, Senator Mark Rubio, hey, what are we going to do? He says, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do. Wow. She said, I want to see him right now tell me. And she actually lost her son. 
in a violent shooting. I believe it was in California, San Bernardino, I believe, because he was campaigning it, if I remember correctly, the story. And he said, I'm sorry, there's just nothing we can do. They're not going to vote for that. And what's sad to me, Sarah, is when I watched the news report and when CNN broke the news of, of what had happened as far as, the, 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 you know, you got the congressman pushing on the floor, filibustering, saying we need to do something. And he came on, he said, I'm optimistic that people are going to say now we need to do something. And the news report came back an hour Absolutely later not. and said, and we hear that that is never expected to go anywhere. And it came true exactly what the news reported. What are we going up there for a vote for to make the American people think we care? Doesn't matter if you vote if you don't get the job done. How do we change the atmosphere, Sarah? What do we do? What do we say to the American people tonight on this program? What do we need to do to, to impact Congress to say it's time to move? The American people need to demand change. They need to vote for people who are willing to talk about these issues. They need to call their representatives' offices. They need to show up. They need to petition. They need to make their voices heard because Americans really are in the right place on this. And as difficult as this last two weeks have been, I'm not without hope, right? We are seeing things changing. Passing gun legislation has always been a marathon. It's not been a sprint. It took us a long time to get a vote on the Senate floor after Sandy Hook. And we got one after a week on Orlando. It didn't go our way, but conversations are still ongoing, right? That's what needs to happen. This needs to be something that is not just an immediate response so that we can do a publicity stunt and be done with it. This needs to be something that every senator is thinking about every day for how can we write the best policy. No, absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. And, and we need to definitely push forward uh, uh, with that. Tell us a little bit, Sarah, more about your organization. Are you guys made up of volunteers? How exactly do you guys uh, are you uh, in a lot of states across the United States? Uh, how did you were you able to mobilize people to get your organization started and on the on the road to what you folks are doing up there? Absolutely. Well, we're a think tank, so we're a, a nonprofit organization. Uh, we have about forty five staffers who work on a variety of issues. Uh, we work mostly in the Beltway, mostly with Congress and and the Senate uh, and the White House. So we don't we don't have a presence in the states although we certainly help out uh, when they're looking at different pieces of legislation or, or need our help. Uh, and we came together because four people, one who worked at a nonprofit organization, one who worked in the White House, one who worked for the administration, and one who worked in the Senate said, we need someone to speak for the moderates, right, for real Americans who don't have a voice in our overly polarized government. Oh, absolutely. And from that, uh, the birth of the organization has uh, has has moved forward. Um, and I mean, I hear the passion and I, I guess the other folks in the studio, Cliff, when you hear Sarah talk, uh, she sounds like the type of woman we that you want on your side addressing issues. Absolutely. I mean, it is so troubling that we can't we can't get action from our elected officials. And, uh, and, you know, that's what we have found is that it takes, you know, the grassroots effort, getting out there, pushing people like Sarah that says, you know, if, even if they even if if something fails, it's not the end of the line. It's not the end of the day. You got to keep pushing, got to keep fighting. 
And, uh, I mean, it just it saddens you thinking about this because what will it take? It, 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 we've already had, you know, like Sarah said, we had a vote in a week on Orlando. Um, those are adults in a closed nightclub. We had mass killing with children at Sandy Hook. What else could it take for Congress to really, you know, do something that really, really, uh, you know, kind of um, puts a puts a damper on these type of weapons that are getting on the street? I mean, you children and grown up. What what else does it take? What else is there to say Congress move? You have to. You don't have a choice. No, absolutely. And uh, Sarah, we salute you tonight. If you would tell the folks uh, and your organization being a nonprofit, how can they uh, get involved, help as a nonprofit? Uh, things are always a little tougher than, than other organizations. How can the American people get involved, perhaps, if they want to aid in your efforts to continue to institute change across this nation? Absolutely. They should go to our website, which is thirdway.org, uh, and reach out to us, join our listserv, send us an email, uh, and let us know they're out there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you for that information, uh, Sarah. And we're going to be in touch. Please understand that as AJC Radio just calls, uh, you have an ally here. If you ever need a platform to discuss issues, whatever the case might be, uh, we leave an open door to you to come here, and you will always have a friend here with us. And we will always give you a platform to pre- speak to the American people, uh, our listeners, not only in the United States, around the world, in the U.K. and Australia, uh, 23 million and counting. Uh, we welcome your voice to be on this platform to share what you're doing, and we hope you take us up on that. Thank you very much. Okay. Have a good night, uh, Sarah. Thanks for joining us tonight. We appreciate your time. You too. And there you have it, folks. Uh, uh, Dennis, when you hear Sarah talk, I mean, she's outraged. As an organization, as an individual, as a mother, as a young lady, she's troubled. We need more people with that type of fire in the belly to say we're not going to stop until something happens. And When we were reading the stats here, total number of incidents in 2016, 24,632 incidents regarding gun violence. That's in 2016 alone. And I didn't go to this point. We said the number of children killed or injured, their ages were 0 to 11 years of age. 269 children. If that doesn't motivate people to say we need to change something, I don't know what will. That's the question. What will motivate people to say something needs to be done? Babies? Babies. And and, and this is not, okay, a stray bullet from some type of drive-by or an incidental bullet. I mean, when you look at Sandy Hook and you say this individual comes in with the express purpose to kill our children. That by itself alone says something has to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I just I don't get it. But uh, all the thing we can do is, is continue to fight, continue to say uh, there has to be a change. Because if the people don't continue to speak, then, uh, you know, the government does not move. 
And we, oh, absolutely. Go ahead, Dennis. And, and we got to get out there and vote. Yes. I mean, that's the key. I mean, if you got if you got a congressman or a representative that is all about, you know, themselves or pleasing NRA or doing, you know, making up their own rules. I mean, we got to vote. We got to vote for people uh, like Sarah said that will listen. If they're not going to listen, then we need not vote for them. They shouldn't be in office. If they're not about a change and doing the right thing, they shouldn't be voted for. No, absolutely. And uh, we talk about the debate going on in Congress on gun control. We pulled a clip with the four and against gun control argument happening on the Hill. Let's hear what it had to say. Now to more of our coverage of the massacre in Orlando and make it stop. That was the headline this morning on the front page of the Boston Globe. The bold letters appear next to a life-sized image of an AR-15, a gun similar to that used in Orlando. The image of the gun's bullet entry size is also included there on the front page of that newspaper. And Congress has once again taken up the debate over gun control measures after the Orlando shooter successfully bought the guns to carry out his attack even though he had twice been on the FBI's terror watch list. But just because it's taken up doesn't mean that there's not resistance to changing our gun laws. I wish I could say I'm surprised that we're here again, but sadly I'm not. Tina Maines says she knows firsthand what the people of Orlando are going through. Her father, Damien, was one of the victims of the terrorist shooting in San Bernardino, California. Thursday, she joined Senate Democrats in calling on Congress to pass legislation that would prevent terrorists from purchasing firearms. I can't wrap my mind around why anyone in Congress finds this acceptable. Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy stood on the Senate floor for almost 15 hours Wednesday, pushing for a vote on two amendments. The first would stop people on the no-fly list and the FBI's terror watch list from buying guns. The second would expand background checks to include sales on the Internet and at gun shows. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell called the filibuster a stunt. We don't need more campaign talkathons like we witnessed yesterday preventing us from actually voting. Senator Richard Blumenthal says more attacks will happen. We know that terrorists are enlisting people here to kill people. We need to stop those people from buying weapons. But Republicans say fighting terrorism is not about gun control. Is going after the Second Amendment how you stop terrorism? No, that's not how you stop terrorism. You don't defeat terrorism by taking away our guns. You defeat terrorism by using our guns. A vote on the amendments is expected next week. And Republicans are pushing for their own gun control legislation. Texas Senator John Cornyn proposes an amendment which would require the FBI to get a court order to block someone on the terror watch list from buying a gun. The question is, are you absolutely kidding me? Are you serious? Let me quote Ted Cruz. Thank you. What logic do you have to say we don't stop terrorists by taking away our guns? See, that's the nonsense we talked about earlier on this program. Nobody's talking about taking We're not talking about your taking guns. your guns. So when you hear nonsense, and that's exactly what it is. If that was your little baby, Senator Cruz, that was killed, would your position change? That, that argument is insane. We want to focus, well, this is a terrorist issue, not a gun control issue. He went in and purchased a gun. Legally. Legally. 
after being on the FBI watch, watch list, was watched by the FBI. He was removed from the list, and you have uh, House Speaker Ryan have the audacity to say that's not the issue. Tell that to Sandy Hook victims. Tell that to the Orlando family members who have been at funerals all weekend. Are you kidding me? This is absolutely absurd. Dennis, your thoughts? It's insane. And you know, I, I didn't want to say this, but it's so sad. Does it take for some somebody to purchase a, a weapon and go up to Congress and kill our congressmen and our representatives? Does that is that what it takes? Then, then when there's loss of life, then will we start looking? But why not when our children are killed? Why not with this recent fiasco? Absolutely. What do it take? Absolutely, Lisa. I'm so sick and tired of hearing about them talking about they're trying to take away your guns. This. This issue has nothing to do with taking away an American's right to bear arms. That has nothing to do with what they're trying to do here. The whole point is to stop these people from getting guns legally and killing hundreds, hundreds of people with them. That's the point. How are they missing that? And the, the key is if a, ter- if a terrorist can get in the United States, uh, which he did, do his thing, that's a terrorist act involving a failed gun control program. They are both hand in hand. That's the truth of the matter. It's not simply gun control, but it is gun control involved. It is terrorism involved. It is ISIS motivated involved. American citizens involved. That's what it is. Cliff. I, I, I don't understand how they keep trying to push, well, uh, this is about this is about your right to to carry a, to have a weapon. That has nothing to do with it. Everybody knows that. We're talking about the type of weapons you should have. We're talking about limitations on access. We're talking about doing a background. You won't vote on yes, a person should have a background check done before they can purchase an assault rifle. If you have a mentally unstable person, you're like, yeah, just come in and get a gun. I, I heard a story on CNN where a reporter, and I, don't, I think she was in Philadelphia, went into a gun store and seven minutes later came out with an AR-15. I saw that. How, how did you do a full background check in that amount of time? And if this, and if this was a person who was just, you know, disgruntled and, I mean, the, the background check is not updated instantaneously. So seven minutes later, she has an assault rifle? Well, let's not forget this, folks. The NRA is about making money. Let's not, take, let's not leave that out. The NRA is getting paid big money. And their position, their stand is – and don't, don't forget this, Cliff. You said, why is this happening? Why is the Second Amendment issue coming up? It's an election year. So if we can raise that question, oh, my God, let's put the American people in a, in a panic. We're not going to have guns in our homes. Let's vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Let's, let's just call it what it is. It's an election year motivating factor. Unacceptable Congress. Unacceptable NRA. Until it, Dennis made it very clear, does it have to visit your front door? And God forbid 
that our nation's capital become under, comes under attack and people get killed, our elected officials, a tragedy happens in our nation's capital. And God forbid that happen. And we don't wish that on anybody or any situation. Make, let me make that very clear. But how many body bags? If we are not motivated by innocent children being put in small coffins, if we're not motivated by our institutions of learning being attacked, if we're not motivated by our communities, our nightclubs, our leisure time being attacked by terrorists because of no gun control, tell me somebody, what will it take as we close out the conversation again? We get a stalemate again. And the families, grief-stricken families, continue to hurt from the loss of loved ones. Is this America? Where are we living is the question. We'll be right back. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified, and in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we, we have, have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We, we can, can make, make a difference. difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. The one and the only PBR. In 1992, when 20 bull riders from the rodeo circuit came together to give life to a dream they all shared, they never could have imagined that it would so quickly develop into one of the most declared and fastest-growing sports in America. PBR brings the toughest sport on dirt to major venues nationwide. Today, more than 600 bull riders from the United States, Australia, Brazil, Canada, and Mexico hold PBR memberships. PBR has rapidly transformed one of the fastest growing sports in America into a worldwide phenomenon. PBR is located in Pueblo, Colorado on the beautiful Riverwalk, and they are hiring right now. PBR is looking for a graphic designer, a financial planning analyst, an event marketing director, and a social media manager. Folks, these are opportunities you do not want to miss. Visit their website today at www.pbr.com. You have the option to call 
at 719-242-2800. And if you can't do that, folks, send an email at recruiting at PBR.com. They would love to hear from you. And remember, there's only one PBR. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America, as tonight AJC Radio takes a uncomfortable journey into the life of the American people and the failure and the lack of gun control in America. Tonight we've had the opportunity to talk to Sarah Trumbull, who was with us earlier, speaking about the need for action. Discussion is just not enough. Action must be taken. As we read the number of homicides at the end of a gun earlier in this program, we came across statistics in the city of Chicago, nearly, and this is in the month of May, 400 people shot, 66 people, people killed just in the month of May on our Chicago streets. That's one city, Dennis. This is, we're not talking about across one city in one month. What will the numbers be at the end of 2016? Your thoughts, Dennis? Oh, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be very high. I can tell you that much. I'll tell you. Like you said, one month. Wow. 66, 66 people. 66 people. Dead. Two a day. And the numbers that Sarah gave us, Cliff, Lisa... 90 people die a day in America from, a, from the lack of gun control. 90 people die a day. Is that acceptable in America? Lisa, your thoughts on that? I think it's insane that we have to deal with this many people in our, in our nation being, being victims to gun violence. I think it's just absolutely insane. It doesn't make sense. When there's, there are ways that we can prevent this, and people are not taking a stand and standing up to say what needs to be done to prevent these things from happening. Nobody's doing it. It's got to be done. And it says here the gunman, Omar Mateen, 29, of Fort Peace, Florida, so that's where he lived, was interviewed by the FBI in 2013 and 2014, but was found not to be a threat. How is that possible? And when, they, when the news report pulled up, some of the ISIS leaders that he, he called, he basically stated were his heroes. And that he was, he was on his social media. He's talk, how does the FBI then come back and say, well, we found him not to be a threat? He was abusive to his, to his ex-wife who said he was half insane. You have him being disciplined and made the statement during his younger years to a group of high school guys that he went to high school with and said Osama bin Laden was his dad. And they stopped him and said, if you continue talking, we're going to have a problem. The other Americans that was with him. Those are signs. If we found that out on Facebook and social media, why don't someone explain to me how the FBI missed that? 
who is supposed to be the most thorough organization on earth. Cliff, your thoughts. It makes absolutely no sense. I mean, you investigate him twice. You find all this stuff that he did. Uh, how many lists does it take before you're banned from buying an assault rifle? I mean, that that is the part that gives us like, okay, you you have all these things that you mentioned, Lamont, and the FBI is looking at you. They're, and, and the thing that drove me crazy, when they were talking about the FBI's investigation, well, it got a little costly. Uh, you know, they, they had like 18 agents that were investigating, and that gets pretty expensive. Well, I'm sure the families of all the victims in Orlando would not have had a problem with their tax dollars being spent on something that would have uh, that would have brought this man down before he carried out this shooting. It, 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 it is insane. And they, but the thing is, they keep doing it over and over again, giving the American people the same story every time. It's like the news story is the same every time. Well, we were looking at it. All, all the way from 9-11, I'm sure, before. We were looking at these people, but uh, we hadn't brought the information together. But then after something happened, after something happened, then they say, well, the FBI had information and the NSA and the CIA and if we would have brought all that, all that information together and put it with what local law enforcement had, then we could have had a full picture and uh, and probably been able to stop this attack. That is the part that continues to fail is they have they have no collaboration. And the the by the time they get back to the news, oh, they had this information. And if they added that to the local law enforcement, they would have knew to go ahead and arrest this guy. That's the part that kills me every time. Every time it's... Um unacceptable it's unacceptable um and the history on gun control in america has started way back this discussion which makes it more tragic that this discussion has been going on for quite some time and why are we still at the same point let's play a clip talking about just that The issue of gun control was barely mentioned during the presidential campaign, but is it possible that the Connecticut school shooting could alter the political equation in Washington and prompt the first serious debate on guns in years? Our hearts are broken for the parents of the survivors as well. When President Obama made his remarks about the shootings in Connecticut, he was standing in the James S. Brady briefing room named after the former press secretary who was injured when a gunman opened fire on President Reagan in 1981 and whose name became synonymous with gun control. The Brady Act requiring background checks was signed into law almost 20 years ago. The last significant national gun control legislation, the assault weapons ban, expired in 2004. As a country, we have been through this too many times. But on Friday, the president sent a clear signal to Congress that gun control must again be addressed on a national level. We're going to have to come together and take meaningful action to prevent more tragedies like this, regardless of the politics. There's another precedent for the White House 
seizing the moment to push for gun control, the assassinations of President Kennedy, Martin Luther King, and Robert Kennedy led to the Gun Control Act of 1968. This is not about the Second Amendment. This New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg, a staunch gun control advocate, yesterday took the president to task on the issue. The country needs him to send a bill to Congress to fix this problem. Calling for meaningful action is not enough. We need immediate action. But Friday was a day to remember the fallen. The majority of those who died today were children. They had their entire lives ahead of them. Birthdays, graduations, weddings, kids of their own. Well, there you have it. President speaking again. We must come together. We need to come together. This goes as far back as the Kennedy assassination. Dr. Martin Luther King. What in the world is going on in America? And we just got a uh, a price list from the from our research team. Now, 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 look at these prices. This is for a background check, criminal check. A background check report, $22.86. Mm-hmm. Statewide criminal check, $22.86. Nationwide criminal check for $22.86. And you're telling me that Congress cannot implement a law that says that for each gun purchase, Add $22.86. I guarantee every every American, every taxpayer will say, I don't have a problem paying that, uh, you know, my part of that $22.86. If we can do a nationwide criminal check on an individual that's trying to get an assault rifle, to keep it out of their hands. I guarantee there's not one person who would vote no to that. Now, I'm not a mathematician. $22, it comes down to what a a, a uh, that's less, say for instance, say you do, let's say we got one gun check a month. What does that come to a day in money? <laughs> You're talking pennies. Pennies, ladies and gentlemen of America, pennies. For the, I'm sure the life of our children far exceed penny value. Do you understand that? In a month, you will spend... Twenty-two dollars. This divided by four weeks. This divided by four weeks. Yeah. Is that lunch? No. <laughs> not enough. That's a Seven Eleven pull-up lunch. That's not even a restaurant, folks. This is outrageous. Just and about we're gonna seventy-six cents a day. Seventy-six cents a day. You can't even get coffee for that. I think our children and our our family members are worth more than that. Yes. There's not a price tag on family. Right now, we're going to get ready to bring in uh, another young lady by the name of Sue Roman, who has seen firsthand and was passionate uh, about making a difference. And at least tragedy has somehow motivated her to be involved. And we're going to get ready to bring her on with us to get her thoughts. And we are so very honored to have her. Sue, are you there? Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. No, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to join with us and the American people. 
as you've probably heard already on this program, we are discussing some very hot topics, if you will, uh, that are on the front lines, if you will, of the media and news and everywhere, and tragedy tends to do that. Tell the American it's, people a little bit about you. I'm sorry, go ahead. Tragedy does seem to get people uh, to take action, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Tell us a little bit, Sue, about yourself, what, what, what has inspired you to become involved, and, and namely with this issue on the failure of gun control in this country and the huge price tag attached to that. Well, I live in Newtown, and my children were in Newtown schools at the time of the shooting. And so I know firsthand what it means. It, uh, you know, I, I go to church with people who've lost children. I go to the supermarket with people who've lost children. And it's, it's absolutely devastating. And what I saw, though, was, was pe- were people in our town saying, we have to do something. We can't let this happen to other people. And so uh, spontaneously, people started taking action. We, went to, we rented buses and went down to Washington and kept going back to Washington. And so what I decided to do was pick up my, my camera and document this because it would be very easy to say it didn't happen. Those people weren't really here. They weren't really pushing. And I wanted to make sure everybody knew that, that we were pushing and that very, that a real broad cross section of people were working for change. And so I've been documenting what people in Newtown and in the Northeast have been doing to push for sensible gun legislation. And let me ask you a question, Sue. As you, we've been talking about on this program tonight, the failure, the four amendments that they were looking to try to pass were shot down before they ever hit the floor, and everyone failed. How discouraging is that as we look to our government to implement legislation, not yesterday, tomorrow, but right now? Well, I didn't actually expect a bill to come up so quickly after Chris Murphy's filibuster because I thought that the, the, they would work together to come up with something that could actually pass. You know, do something mm-hmm. like the work that had happened in 2013 with Manchin-Toomey bill and, and, you know, really work together and compromise. And it didn't seem like, like the Republicans were, were willing to do that. I mean, I know my senators personally. They have been in Newtown many times. I've been in Washington with them many times. And they, this, is very, this is personal for them. They really want to do the right thing. And I know that they would work and do whatever they could to, to do the right thing. So the fact that they're not coming together to, to, to make a bill that they can pass is, is completely discouraging. And that has no, to absolutely. No, absolutely, Sue, and I think that's a good point that you make. Ladies and gentlemen of America, uh, all of con- we're not saying all of Congress is doing nothing. We're saying the body as a whole being unable to come together for whatever reason, political or otherwise, is unacceptable. And each congressman from each district is in one individual. They don't have the power. It's a collective unit, Sue. Would you agree with that? It's a collective effort that has to be made. That's just the way it works on the Hill. It is the way it works on the Hill. It's, it's got to be numbers. Uh, I am extremely proud of the Connecticut delegation. I'm involved with a group called Team 26. And what this is is these serious cyclists who ride from Newtown to Washington, D.C. in four days uh, in April. And they do it to raise awareness about gun violence. They've been doing this since right after the shooting. And we have rallies all along the way where people from 
urban areas and rural areas and suburban areas all come out to say they want change, they demand change. And when these writers get to the the U.S. Capitol in Washington, the complete delegation, the senators and all the people, all the representatives from the House of Representatives from Connecticut are there to meet them. And so Connecticut is one state that's unified and working extremely hard to move things through both houses. And it's, it's extremely frustrating for all of them that nothing is happening. It has to be. And Sue, uh, we salute you here on AJC Radio uh, for what you're doing. And at a just cause, we need voices. And we need folks yes. that will be the voice from what they see. And as you have progressed forward, please tell the folks, the American people, how are the families doing? Uh, this is not, of course, there's no timeline on getting better after such a tragedy. Each is, in, is, is an individual situation. How are the families doing? How are you doing? And how do we move forward and begin to heal? Well, I, I can't speak for the families, but I can speak for the town. Uh, you know, okay. you've got kids who have have were in that school, and now they're they're several years older. You have everybody in town knows what happened. You know, you have kids who are are, are scared to. I, I hear from parents who say, "Well, my kids won't let me turn off the lights at night," or "My kid, this is the ritual to go to bed." You have kids who are terrified because. What's a place that they thought was safe to them was horribly breached. And so the town itself, you know, it just pops up in unexpected ways and it will for who knows how many years. And so you don't, what, what people don't understand is we can give, we can give statistics around, you know, 26 kids. Okay. But those 26 kids have families. And so probably for each, just say, you know, for each person who, who died, you know, there's probably 30 people directly affected by it in their family. And then it ripples out beyond and beyond and beyond. And that's, that's if you just talk about people who have died, but people who get shot and do not die, they have terribly hard roads. You know, they have lifelong health issues. Their families are traumatized. So it's a, it's a, it's a huge problem. And if it were something else, if it were you know, 30,000 people dying of Zika in the U.S. right now, I think Congress would act. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And uh, uh, Sue, you make a good point. And, and for you to be an advocate for uh, Newtown, to me, and what you're doing, I think is awesome. And uh, we got to motivate other people. It, you know, you say all the time it takes a village. It takes an individual and a village. Somebody who will step up to the plate and say, you know what? I'll be that voice. I'll speak for you. I'll help you. I'll hug you. I'll pat you on the back and say, look, we have to make it through it. And I think the good point that you make, Sue, outside of the ones that die, the scars for the rest, do you know that affects our society? People scared to go, kids, I don't want to turn the lights off. How long do those scars stay, or is it a lifetime scar? And I think well, when you then, deal with go ahead. Well, and then and then people who grow up in areas where there is gun violence all the time and they worry about how do I walk from school to home? I mean, Newtown is a place where you don't worry about walking from school to home. But because there are so many guns in this country, there are a large number of kids who worry every day about just how do I make it home or will a stray bullet come? 
and and take me out. Even though I am in the right place at the right time, a bullet could come and end my life. And and what kind of stress and toll does that take on on kids as they're growing up? You know, they 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 are rightly afraid for their lives. That's unbelievable. So you, your information, your perception is absolutely on hit, if you will, uh, right on target. Um, and I think what you're saying, I don't think we've even looked at the uh, collateral damage, the scars, the the mental state of people who have witnessed this, who have seen it, who have heard of it. We don't even talk about that. And that goes even further of the tragedy and the problem why we cannot just accept this as status quo. We can't accept it anymore. And I think what you're doing is amazing. Uh, Anytime that you can help somebody or help a community heal, uh, it speaks volumes of who you are as a person. And our hat is off to you, and we salute you and appreciate you so much for being a voice in a time, like you said, people are scared to death to walk down the street. Well, it didn't used to be that way in America. didn't used to be that way. No. And I think, Sue, the problem is getting progressively worse because we sit well, idly by and not do something. Well, but here's the, the, the fact. The fact is that there are fewer adults in households with guns now. So one statistic is in 1977, 54% of adults lived in households with guns. Now it's only 32% live in households with guns. And so the gun industry looks at that and says, well, we're not, more people aren't buying guns, so we need the same people to buy more guns. Let's, what whiz-bang features can we add so that it's exciting for people to buy more and more guns? And you know, you look at why isn't why is the NRA doing what they're doing? You have to follow the money. I mean, having no background checks or having so many guns not go through background checks, having straw purchases where somebody could buy a gun for somebody else, that means more gun sales. There's money for the gun manufacturers, and and you just have to follow the money to know why there's so much pressure against what everybody else looks at and says this is common sense laws. But what's common sense to us means less revenue for the for the gun industry. Wow. And that's a huge problem. And I think you hit it again. That's just the truth of the matter. Greed and more greed. And there's no price tag. Even human lives don't matter when greed takes over. That's a tragedy. And one, so go ahead. One of the things that isn't mentioned very often is uh, – uh, is gun sales into Mexico. Mexico itself has very strict gun laws. Most of the guns that are in Mexico doing such damage through the, 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 the drug traffickers were bought in the U.S. by straw purchases and then smuggled into Mexico. And that's a huge market for the gun manufacturers. They want that market. They want those, those gun sales. So, so having so many loopholes means a lot of money for the gun industry. And the tragedy, and I agree with that, Cliff, we talked earlier uh, in regards to the tragedy. I believe it was Fast and Furious. Uh, yes. And yes. that was a sale within the United States government of right, I mean, weapons. Where, where they allowed the weapons to get uh, into the hands of the, uh, Cartel. of the drug cartels and, and ended up with a uh, border control agent, ended wow. up being killed with one of those guns. That the government 
appeared perception wise to sanction. And that that brings uh just more of a question on why can why why does Congress not come to a conclusion? They have to on what needs to be uh, what needs to happen. But like Dennis said, you know, we as people have to vote. We have to continue to push. Um, sure. You know, just like Sue, we got to get out there. We we have to get on Capitol Hill and get in front of our legislators locally yeah. and say, I want this to happen. I'm your constituent. I voted for you. Make it happen, or you won't get my vote next time around. Oh, absolutely. So, thank you for taking a few minutes with us tonight. Is we are so honored to have had you tonight. Our prayers and thoughts are with you, the families. Uh, as we continue to heal, we, we wish you the best success in your push, in your advocacy. Uh, you have a friend here at AJC Radio and Adjust Calls. If you ever need to get information out, please don't hesitate to contact us. Uh, we will give you that platform at, at really with no problem at all, okay? Very nice talking to you. Tell the you folks keep if up you your want to. Thank you so much. And is there a way the folks can get a hold of you if they want to get involved with your outreach or what you're doing? Uh, can they contact you? How would the folks be able to get a hold of you? Yeah, on, through my website, which is witnessforchange.org. Okay, and that's witnessforchange.org. Ladies and gentlemen, Sue Roman making a difference and an impact in our nation. Sue, have a great night. Thank you for taking the time with us tonight. Thank you. Okay, and thank you very much. Uh, what a what a magnificent woman, uh, Dennis, doing some good things. Uh, your thoughts on Sue? Again, another another advocate, uh, making a big difference. Uh, people have have to get involved, and, and when you have, uh, you know, people like uh, Sue and uh, Sarah, you know, doing what they're doing, and of course, the just cause, uh, you know. The only way you're going to get change is that you you, you, you yell loud enough. I mean, because if you whisper, no one's going to hear you. But when you come together as a team and, and you voice your opinions and you make it loud, things happen. All right. And uh, thank you for that, uh, uh, Dennis. Uh, and right now we change gears. And we want to give a very special thanks to our guests tonight, uh, Sue Roman uh, and Sarah Trumbull, for their insight on gun control in this country as we continue to address the issue. And right now we turn our attention to one very important fact. And actually, Cliff, uh, is true to uh, the RP6 men who have the answer and could have avoided this attack with sophisticated software created by the RP6. There are Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Right now, what you didn't know about the RP6. A just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Sarrigan about the RP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11 year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just an aside, not 
only were the six of us all devout members of the same church. There was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we lived, prayed, and worked together that we should end up dying together because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testified, and then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper, and I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness, an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story. Judge H. Lee Serkin, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy. Go to YouTube search the race card you don't want to miss it some people think that business is a game and what we have learned is that business actually is war when they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff sometimes they didn't want to do it I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, It became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, And it it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news Every week, you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen, that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to jail. 
Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the IRP6. Tonight we are honored to bring in the first part of that recording was the trailer of the dramatization done by federal retired judge H. Lee Sarakin. And we have two of the uh, actors, an act- one actress and one actor, that actually portrayed this in such a unique way. And we wanted to bring them on and give a very special thank you as we are honored and moved by their performances. And we have uh, Mr. Anthony Hamm and Miss is it Camera? Did I pronounce that right? I'm sorry? Yeah, is this Mr. Hamm? Yes, this is Anthony Hamm. How are you tonight? How are you? And I think we have Miss, I hope I'm not pronouncing this wrong. Miss Camara, is she on? Yes, Miss Kamara, Nieme Kamara. Hello. Kamara, thank you so much. I don't know if it was Kamara, Kamara. Thank you for clarifying that for us, Kamara. Thanks for joining us. Of course. We have some background. We have some background noise. Is that on your one of your ends? Uh, it's probably on my end. Yes. Okay. Sorry All right. about that. Yeah. No, we just wanted to make sure the folks hear you tonight. And I just got a couple of questions for you. Can we get away from any of that noise, Mr. Ham, at all? Absolutely. Yes, I can. I am doing so right now. Okay, I do appreciate are. that. How okay, is thank that? you so much. That's that's good. And I appreciate you taking a moment to do that for our listeners. Well, thank you for having me aboard. Thank you for having me. It okay, is an honor and, and Well, thank you so much. And Mr. Ham, let me ask you a question. Yeah. You still have that noise. Uh, coming in. It sounds like somebody's doing some work of some sort. Oh, yes. We're moving away from it now. Okay. No, I appreciate okay. that. Thanks. Okay. You with me? I am with you. Okay, Mr. Ham, uh, the first question, we were we wanted to give a very special thanks to you and Ms. Kamara uh, on your extraordinary work that you did on the RP6 story uh, and that dramatization. Tell us how it impacted you, Mr. Ham, first. Well, it impacted me when I began discovering about uh, corporate injustices and corporate malfeasance in America. Uh, As a child, I grew up believing that if you were one of those people who worked very hard and got very rich by doing so, following the American dream, serving your country and serving your community. And now, as we get older, I see more and more of that is not true. And about six years ago, I discovered Democracy Now!, the War and Peace Report with reporter Amy Goodman, and 
on those reports, I began hearing things that I wasn't hearing on mainstream media, especially about the injustices that are being done in our courts today. But when I heard about the IRP-6 and I was asked to join this reading, I jumped at the opportunity. I felt that if anything that I could do to my using the talent and services could bring about justice, I would go ahead and do it. And so that's what moved me. That's what compelled me to get involved. Mr. Ham, you're, you're breaking up a little bit on us and your words are a little spaced. Um, can you continue to talk to see if we can get you clearer? Uh, as okay, you there? You dropped. Mr. Ham, are you there? Okay, we're going to get the opportunity to get him back. Ms. Kamara, are you there? Hi, can you hear me okay? Yeah, you're perfectly clear. We had a little noise with Mr. Hammond. Hopefully we're going to get him back here momentarily. Ms. Kamara, tell us a little bit about the impact of Plan Kia uh, Banks, the daughter of David Banks. Uh, what impact did it have on you? Well, so I, I first want to start off by saying that um, my father came to this country in search of a dream. He's from Gambia, West Africa. And to witness my father build something, um, to build his dream from uh, from nothing has been so inspiring to me. And so playing this um, this girl who has seen her father and his friends wanting to do, um, to, to make something productive that can help, you know, society that can help themselves to ultimately their dream just getting torn away, it's really, um, it's it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And so now I feel like, with because of technology and the ability to to do a play and then have it televised and put it on social media, now it's like okay, playing playing Kia, I have now the the responsibility to to portray this character and make an impact because social media is just going to take it that much farther. Absolutely. So you know, you, right? So right? So it's like, how can I tell her story? To the, to the utmost people, right? So it's not just that North Coast rep, and it's not just being in California, it's not just for Colorado, but it's for the entire country. So, Absolutely. yeah, I would say not only was it playing her, but it was also like, now what is this responsibility that we have to use technology to our advantage to get the most listeners? No, oh, absolutely. And you did an outstanding job, and, and we felt it needful uh, to say thank you. Um, what an outstanding job you did, and I think it, it's right that we say thank you, and we appreciate it. I can tell you the families uh, of the IRP-6 are overwhelmed with the emotion uh, of, of the work that all of you did uh, on that production absolutely moved us to tears, and that's no exaggeration by any means. And uh, we are grateful. Uh, as you talk about your father and building what he has built from the ground up from nothing had to be even more impactful on you when you saw the injustice happening to Kia and her dad. Absolutely. And what was even more heartbreaking is that I didn't know that this story existed. Like I didn't know how long the story has been around and it has, and no one really knows about it. That's what's no, outrageous. How many more stories of these are there? out there and yet we hear and yet we hear just you know this past month about this um 
Brock Turner, this 19-year-old swimmer from Stanford University, who raped a woman and yet has six months probation. Unbelievable. It's just, it's absolutely unbelievable. It's just disgusting. And I cannot, I can't, I can't pinpoint exactly what it is. Does it have to do with race? Does it have to do with gender? Does it have to do with what they were doing? Like, I don't know. But something is wrong. Something is absolutely wrong, and we don't know enough about these cases. Um, and it does. It does feel like they are wrongfully convicted. No, no, absolutely. And, and I think, like you said, the troubling part about it is this should, this should have more traction than what it did. And, the, again, you deal with political and you deal with corporate corruption that says, let's leave this story alone. And that's just unacceptable. <laughs> and, and you're such, you're such an inspiration uh, Ms. Kamara, for what you've done, and, and your inspiration definitely has in, not only impacted us, uh, but has impacted uh, you. And I think we got, do we got Anthony back? Yes, we have, uh, we have him back. We're going to bring him on uh, right now. Anthony, uh, are you there? I am here. Thank you, Anthony. Sorry for the uh, whatever happened, but we're glad to have you back. And uh, we got a caller that wants to actually comment about uh, you folks, so give us some, we bring her on. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, we have the truth. You're live. Yes, thanks for taking my call. I'm the mother of David Banks, and I feel like I'm the mother of all these guys because I've been around them ever since they were little bitty kids. And we watched that video. We don't even have words enough to say thanks to both of you for what you did. It. We sat in front of the TV, and it seemed like. We were, we were watching somebody else's life, and it just moved us to tears to realize for a moment that, look, this is all about us. And you've done a terrific, you done a terrific job in, in, in representing these guys, and we told them about it. They were excited about it, and hopefully soon they're going to get a chance to watch that and possibly meet with you at some point. But thanks again for all that you did, and the fact that you didn't even charge us to do it and volunteered your time. We don't have words to say thank you and 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 you're always in, in my prayers, and I pray that things will even go better for you. But thank you for all that you did for us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I really hope it makes Absolutely. a difference. I hope so, too. It, it has been our privilege to do this. Uh, like I said, I wanted to get involved because uh, Nemea had pointed out there's so many injustices happening in this country that we don't hear about, and we rely so much on mainstream news media for our information, for our news, but we don't get any information. They talk, 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 and don't say anything. They don't tell us anything. We don't learn anything. And right. anything that we can do to say, listen, there is something very wrong yeah. in this country. There is, there, and something has to be addressed, and we have to talk about it because there are injustices that you don't know about. And when Namaya brought up Brock Turner, that was absolutely right. You know, I can't even imagine what would happen if Brock Turner were an African-American boy, you know, mm-hmm. and guilty of the same crime. Yes, it's a crime, no. but would he have gotten the same sentence as Brock Turner? Would no be the same situation? You know, you have six men who loved God and their country and wanted to serve their community and wanted to protect human life, and they're in jail for wrong, they're wrongly accused of defrauding the federal government and law enforcement agencies when none of that is true. 
And, and none it of it. strikes me as us. None of it. And, and there's something very wrong when you allow corporate malfeasance to get away with it. When you say, okay, we'll choose the judge to represent us, and he'll be on our side, and we'll know we'll get a good case. It seems like to me that money is not only free speech in politics, but also pays for your justice as well. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I agree. Uh, those are I, those I, are valid points. Go ahead, Ms. Kamara. Oh, I was I, I was going to say that um, on an artistic level, I think the program was taken to North Theater. Um, and, and as actors, we are, we are reading scripts, right, about, about, about characters, yeah, based off of reality, but they're still an idea. We have to be now as, as actors, as artists, to tell the lives, to tell the stories of people who are actually real, whose lives are happening right now, whose dramas are happening right now. So, I, again, I, I, find, I find it very beautiful that this was um, – written as a play by, by Judge, and was actually being produced. And um, I'm, I was very happy to be of service, I'm sure. So was Anthony and the rest of the team. Um, but thank you, thanks, I thank the families for um, allowing us to do that. Um, no, no, no. And, and, and I know and, it's not easy, not easy for, the, for the whole nation to hear this story, but, it, but people need to hear the story. No, absolutely. And we have... Uh, another caller uh, that wanted to share uh, your thoughts, uh, her thoughts rather, with with you folks. Hang on, uh, Cliff. Yep, we have Kia Banks on, uh, who com- um, who you played, and go ahead, Kia, you're live. Hello, um, I just wanted to thank you, Kamara, so much, sincerely, for giving my family, you and the whole team, giving my family a voice, telling the story that we have been trying to tell for so many years and just I sat there and I watched the video with my grandmother and my cousin and my aunt the day that it came out and we just sat there and we just cried our eyes out because we're sitting there and we're watching our lives what we have actually lived we are watching other people telling our story this is not like a drama this is what we have been living and to see somebody else truly appreciate it I watched you, Mr. Ham, portray Mr. Clint, and I was like, that is really Mr. Clint sitting right there. And I was watching the other men that played Mr. Demetrius and my father and Mr. Kendrick and my Uncle Gary, and I was like, these men, they understand what we've been through. They they can feel our pain. And I just I truly I want to say thank you to all of you uh, for taking the time and putting your heart into it and caring about someone else's life and being able to show that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, Kia. Wow. It was really our honor. What you said really moved me. And I so want not just this country but the rest of the world to understand what is happening here. You know, this injustice of these men who are separated from their families. You know, like Clinton said, you know, it's fitting that because we live together that we should die together because that's what prison is. It, and I don't even have any further words to describe it, you know, but no. it's exactly what yeah. it is. You know, the pulling apart of families and this injustice. 
No, and you're absolutely right, uh, uh, Anthony, Miss Kamara. We are our very, very best to you. Thank you for taking a few minutes tonight with us. Uh, we are honored. Uh, we count ourselves honored to have you on our program uh, and to tell what you have said tonight to our listeners, not only in the United States, but around the world. We are so thankful, and we won't hold you. Thank you, guys. If there's anything that we can do to help you, uh, we're family now, without question. Uh, you have a new family here at AJC, and I just called. Uh, let us be of service to you in any way that we can, whether it's promoting uh, some work that you may be doing. Uh, I believe uh, you guys are doing something good in the impact and the imprint, I believe, that you left in the hearts of a lot of people uh, across the country who have seen it. Seventeen Over 1,700 views of that uh, within a two-week period. Uh, people are looking. If you have an opportunity on social media, tell everybody, tell the world uh, what you folks are doing. I think it's absolutely awesome. And thanks for being a part of uh, AJC and the Just Cause and the RP6 family. Thank you for having us. It is the honor and privilege is ours. Thank you so much. We're happy to serve. Okay, you Hi. folks take care. Go ahead, Mr. Carr. Okay, folks. You guys have a good night. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. You're very, very welcome. We wish you the best of luck, okay? Best to you as well. Thank you. And we'll keep you informed on the updates of the IRP6 without question. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too. Well, there you have it. Anthony Hamm, Miss Kamara, two actors, one actor, one actress, touched, moved, impacted by the IRP6. That's absolutely amazing. And we are grateful for that. When you hear their, and they're just as passionate today, and they're not reading a script. Cliff, when you hear that, what an impact. Yeah, it makes you know that they, they feel the, uh, you know, it's not just a story to them. It's not just, okay, something that I read or something that I was told. They got involved in it, and they feel what's going on with this situation. They, they have uh, engrossed themselves into the IRP6 story. They comprehend the story. They have, uh, you know, basically their heart is attached now. And, and uh, you know, the, the injustice that, that we have known, now that's, uh, that's another, another level. More people who understand that this is an injustice and can spread the word because uh, has, it, has to be, it has to be alleviated and it takes voices to uh, continue to get the story out. No, I appreciate ab- them. No, 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 absolutely, Cliff. And we're, again, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to tell you to go to change.org, sign the petition. Just search IRP6. There's a petition out there as we seek and ask the president to grant clemency for this huge miscarriage of justice. Judge Edgley Sarakin felt a need to do something. He felt a need and was compelled to speak. And the actors, Ms. Kamara and Anthony Hamm, were just two who have spoken. We continue to seek justice to bring the message of justice all around the world. Who are the IRP6? Who are these men that's causing an uproar in our judicial system because of what they have suffered? 
They are Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. We continue to seek justice. Go to YouTube, type in the race card face up. And now those that were responsible for this injustice, they are perpetrators of justice. Lisa, who are they? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Cornfell, Attorney Mark Garagos, Susan, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that, Lisa. The IRP6, David Banks, Demetrius Hopper, Dave Zapolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, Gary Walker. We seek justice. Let's bring these men home. We'll see you next time. Good night, America. In the pursuit of happiness, those rights were stripped from college kids in Blacksburg and Santa Barbara and from high schoolers at Columbine and, and from first graders in Newtown, first graders, and from every family who, who never imagined that their loved one would be taken from our lives by a bullet from a gun. Every time I think about those kids, it gets me mad. And by the way, it happens on the streets of Chicago every day. So, all of us need to demand a Congress brave enough to stand up to the gun lobby's lives, all of us need to stand up and protect its citizens. All of us need to demand governors and legislators and businesses do their part to make our community safer. We need the wide majority of responsible gun owners who grieve with us every time this happens and feel like your views are not being properly represented to join with us to demand something better. 